So we've, we're still working our way through 1 Corinthians 13. I thought it might help if we, uh, we used an unfamiliar translation. It might sort of speak to us again afresh. And it just so happens that the contemporary English version has a really good translation of the verse that I'm speaking on. So let's do it from the contemporary English version. Uh, Rachel, do you mind? Have you read 1 Corinthians yet? 1 Corinthians 13? Cool. Do you mind reading? Sure. What if I can speak all languages of humans and of angels? If I did not love others, I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What if I could prophesy prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? And what if I had faith that moved mountains? I would be nothing unless I loved others. What if I gave away all that I own and let myself be burned alive? I would gain nothing unless I loved others. Love is kind and patient, never jealous, boastful, proud or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop, and unknown languages will no longer be spoken. All that we know will be forgotten. We don't know everything, and our prophecies are not complete. But what is perfect will someday appear, and what isn't perfect will then disappear. When we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do. But when we grew up, we quit our childish ways. Now all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Later we will see him face to face. We don't know everything, but then we will, just as God completely understands us. For now there are faith, hope and love. But of these three, the greatest is love. The greatest is love. So... Today we're focusing on the first two descriptions that Paul gives in a list of descriptions that follow the pattern, love always does something. Is that a different version to the last one? That's CEV. Very different. So CEV is a dynamic version, so it tries to make it sound more natural in English rather than in Greek. So this is the, this is the, uh, the verse that we're looking at. Love is always supportive, always loyal hopeful and trusting. And it might surprise you how different these various English translations of this particular verse are. So this is the CEV, always supportive, loyal, hopeful and trusting. This is the ESV, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. Sounds quite different, doesn't it? The ESV, in a way, preserves the simplicity of the Greek, which uses two words for each of these four descriptions, with the first word the same for each description. The first word is um, panta, which which the lemma of that is pas, which means all. It's a very common word in the New Testament, 1,200 times, it appears. Uh, And it does have a broad meaning, like the English word all, you can see it's translated in, into various English words that, that have that meaning of, of all. But, but uh, 
All can have lots of different meanings depending on the context. It can mean absolutely every individual thing. It can mean uh, it can mean a, a contextual all, like all of the relevant things. Uh, it, it has quite a broad range of meanings. But in in this verse, where it's panta stego, panta uh, pisteo, panta some other Greek word, panta some other Greek word. The repetition of the all is intended to emphasize the unlimited nature of love. And if we go to the next verse, that's exactly what we see. Love never ends. Or as the CEV says, love never fails. Love never ends is a better translation, I think. Um, But what are the specific properties, these unlimited properties of love that Paul's spelling out? The first one, we're just going to look at two today. The first one is uh, this, this word stego. Unlike panta or pas, this word only occurs four times in the New Testament. Twice in 1 Corinthians, twice in 1 Thessalonians. So both Paul's letters. And... You can see even only occurring four times, it has three different translations that are, that are actually quite different in the English. Uh, and it, it just doesn't translate well into English, this word. The original, the, the noun of the word, this is a verb, the noun of this, this word actually refers to a cover of a jar. You know when you get an old jar, so it's not a lid, you know... In the old days, you used to have a like a skin or something, yeah, a skin or a or a cloth that you'd put across, yeah, like a wax cloth or something to protect the contents of the jar, right? And that's what that's what the English uh, the the noun is, and so the verb picks up that that idea of uh, separating things to protect them, providing this sort of cover, and that's where it gets things like. Enduring, protecting, standing, putting up with something. That's putting up, uh, like tolerating something. Um, <clears throat> but in the ESV where it says bears all things, it, it actually makes it sound like love just, it just tolerates things, right? And also, how is that different from love endures all things, which is the last, the last in that list of four things? So... Um, so given that, the, it's probably better to translate this word in this context as love is always supportive. It's always supportive in this sense of protecting you and, and caring, like keeping you separate from things that are bad for you. Right? Does that make sense? This gives you a bit of insight into how hard it can be to translate words sometimes. Um, <clears throat> the benefit of that is that is that it gives you the idea that love is supportive, not tolerant. It, so it doesn't just put up with evil. It it actually is is caring about the one about its object, about the beloved. Uh, because we know that love doesn't reduce rejoice in wrongdoing. Right? We just looked at that last week. So. <clears throat> It's actually, when you think about it, that's exactly the sort of love that we see parents 
showing to their children, right? Parents always support their kids. May not feel that way to the kids, but but parents are always supporting their kids. So when we combine this with the next word, it makes even more sense. This this actually is a common word in the Greek. Um, it's a and it's a variant of a of a very common word, pistis, which means which is the word for faith. That's the noun. Pisteo is the the verb to have faith in, or to believe, or to trust. Um, so the ESV again translates it as believes all things, which makes love sound like a bit of a naive fool. But I think that's unfortunate because love isn't naive and it's not foolish. Love has faith in its object, a person, it, 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 because it knows that they're a creature made in God's image. right? Not because love is naive and stupid and easily, easily fooled. The, C's, the CEV's translation of this, I think, is much better. It says that love is always loyal. Again, this is exactly like a parent's love for their child. Even when a parent knows how imperfect their child is, they will always support them and they'll always have faith that they can make something of themselves. Right? Even when the par- their kids bring in home D report cards and, and you know, so-and-so has been really naughty in class, their parent will still be supporting them encouraging them, having faith that they can, that they, that they are worth, worth something, worth so much that they are precious. And um, there's lots of biblical images of this, right? Think of the father of the prodigal son. Think of God and his patience with Israel. And of course there's lots of images of this sort of idea in popular culture as well. One of my favourite, one of the most beautiful images of this from popular culture is the story of Pinocchio. Unfortunately Andrew Capone isn't here so he can't enjoy this this excursion into Italian popular culture. But um, the Disney version of this watered the story down a bit but there was a version... Uh, last year, or in 2020 actually, a couple of years ago, from Italy, um, that was much more faithful to the original Italian book. And that story is much more painfully poignant than the Disney version. Geppetto, who's an old, single, childless woodcarver, stumbles across a piece of living wood, just a, a log of living wood, And with great care, he carves a puppet out of it and is astonished to find that the wooden puppet, Pinocchio, is alive. Despite Geppetto's love and generosity to Pinocchio, the puppet has been... He's just naughty since he's released from the wood and eventually runs away following his selfish desires. Geppetto never gives up hope, though, and despite his age, he pursues Pinocchio for years... Pinocchio has various adventures and even tries to be good on his own in the, in the book. Um, but eventually he's tempted to a place called Toyland where all the selfish children are magically turned into donkeys to be sold into hard labour. 
that's, that's <laughs> yeah, it's a very practical sort of business. <laughs> Pinocchio is sold to a circus which exploits him. He's a donkey, remember? So he's a performing donkey because he's still intelligent and so he can perform very well. And so they exploit him until finally he becomes lame and collapses. And then they sell him to a tanner who tries to drown him so that he can use his skin. It's pretty bleak. Um, Fortunately, yep, this is what Italians love in their kids' stories. Fortunately for Pinocchio, a school of fish eats his donkey skin, revealing his inner puppet, and he escapes, swimming off into the ocean. But he meets this creature uh, and is eaten by this creature. It's, it's called Monstro in the Disney version. It's called a giant dogfish in the original uh, book. It's not a whale, even though it's the size of a whale. Um, <coughs> And to his amazement, he finds Geppetto inside this fish's stomach. And together they... It it seems like Pinocchio's death as a donkey, he's actually hung as well in an earlier adventure. Um, So it's pretty gruesome. It seems his death as a donkey has transformed Pinocchio. It reminds me of uh, the, the, um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader when Eustace who's been transformed into a dragon because he's selfish, has his dragon skin peeled off by Aslan. And he's a different person after that. Um, Pinocchio has his his donkey skin peeled off by the blue fairy's fish. Uh, And so he and Geppetto escape the fish and find a place to live together and to support one another. And Pinocchio manages to resist all the old temptations which, which still come his way. And after some time of this, this uh, you know, good, righteous life, Pinocchio is transformed into a real boy by the blue fairy who he's sort of encountered throughout his adventures. And he and Gebetto live happily ever after. Yeah. Now, if you think this story sounds suspiciously Christian, well, it might not surprise you to find that its author studied in seminary when he was young. Uh, the love, I think, that Geppetto shows Pinocchio is the sort of love that we're talking about here. It's, it isn't earned. Pinocchio doesn't earn it. In fact, Pinocchio, especially in the beginning of the movie, if you watch the Italian movie, and I recommend it, it's really... It's, 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 a, it's pretty weird, but it's, it's really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's really... It has this really interesting tone... And, and it, it, it has a lovely sort of conclusion. And at the beginning, you want to strangle Pinocchio. He's so obnoxious. Um, he, yet Geppetto doggedly keeps on supporting Pinocchio. He even goes to prison for him. Uh, and he's shipwrecked for him. He spends months or years in the belly of the fish for him. He always supports Pinocchio, despite Pinocchio's complete lack of appreciation for him. And when Pinocchio finally shows up in the belly of the fish and is in a repentant sort of mood, Geppetto doesn't scold him for all the pain he's put him through. He doesn't get up him. Rather, he embraces his long-lost child. And despite Pinocchio's naughtiness, Geppetto always had faith in him. He trusted 
that Pinocchio would eventually wake up and be a real human boy, a real human being, someone who cared for others and not just for himself. And Geppetto's constant faith in Pinocchio is a big part of what actually makes that come true. That's love. It's not naive, it's not foolish, it's not indulgent. It's simply always supportive, always loyal, always hopeful and always persevering. So again, remember, we can't love that way on our own. We can try, but we'll run out of alwayses in our own strength. Geppetto's not a real person. He's a fictional character who's a symbol of God. But, but, we have the real God in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, not just a symbol. And so we have the real power of the Holy Spirit that so long as we are loving in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God, we can always support and always be loyal. So let's really let the Holy Spirit fill our hearts and pour out of our hearts into the lives of those around us as we're always supportive and always loyal, always hopeful and always persevering. In Jesus' name, Amen.